0: Really good to be back though, worshiping this morning, just amazing, isn't it? Just being in God's presence together as family. Um, I, look, I wasn't going to share this, um, to be honest with you, <laughs> um, but and it's not in my notes, uh, but uh, I just wanted to be honest with you for a moment. Um, many of you will know that this has probably been uh, a really difficult year for us as a family. Um, It's been one with a lot of grief, and a lot of hurt, and a lot of pain. And uh, we're still kind of trying to figure that out, if I'm being honest with you. And why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because um, it's okay. Um, I felt I needed to share this to tell you, really, that it's okay. And it's also okay to, to not feel like your walk with God is just bang on all the time. Um, So I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Um, Probably in the run-up to just having a break, I felt like our feet hadn't touched the ground really for months. Since Joe died, and a lot of things had happened, and it was just a sense of just continuous, just trying to do the right things, just trying to read my Bible, trying to pray, trying to just come to God continuously... But if I'm being honest, especially the last two weeks leading up to a break, I just felt like I was reading scripture and just nothing was coming to me. Like God wasn't speaking to me. And um, that kind of continued into our break, really, which I was really annoyed about. <laughs> and um, I sat down, I was in my own personal time, and just wrote notes on what I was reading and just asking God just to give me something. And uh, nothing really. Um, until last Sunday, I wasn't here. We were actually um, we were actually in uh, Durham Church, in uh, Emmanuel Church in Durham. Uh, my brother and I. And um, I just read the scripture. And Psalm ninety-one. It says, "Whoever dwells, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to get started with this. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High." will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And um, you know, just God just sucker punches you. And just that sense of, I don't need to be okay. I actually don't need to be, have it all together. I don't need to be this wonderful, amazing pastor, preacher, which I am, of course. That's where you're now. <laughs> but I don't need to be any of those things. I just need to dwell in his rest, in his shelter. I just need to be in his shadow and know that he's covering me. And I I wanted to share that really for a couple of reasons. One, there's been a lot of loss in this church over the last year particularly, year and a half. And I think I just want to say to you it's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out. God's got you figured out. Um, And the second thing is, is please, in those moments, do the right things. Just keep reading. Keep coming to God. Keep asking Him. And it might take longer than you want to hear, but I just want to encourage you just to keep listening. Keep doing the right things. Keep being disciplined in your walk with Him. Anyway, that's nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning, but I just wanted to share that with you. I felt just really punched this morning as we were praying to just share with you. So anyway, okay, please. uh, Let's just pray before we start. Father, thank you so much that you're such a good, good God. Thank you, Jesus, that when we come to you on a Sunday morning, it's nothing to do with us. It's nothing to do with what we have to bring to the table. You simply ask us to have our hearts open to you. And Jesus, we want to come to you afresh this morning and say, Lord, speak to us through your word. Come and work in us and through us that we may be more effective for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week John read quite a large passage where he looked at the law. Uh, Jesus is right in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, and it's this incredible moment of teaching. And this morning we're in Matthew 6. We're going to do 18 verses from 1 to 18. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 6 and just keep them open there uh, while I talk through this. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, there's some on the back table. You can take it home with you. It's free of charge. It's a gift to you. Um, you're welcome to go and grab one. Um, but it says this, Matthew 6, 1 to 18. It says, be careful <clears throat> excuse me, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So like I said at the beginning, Jesus is right in the middle of his teaching. We've caught in full flow and we're just into it, right? And We're jumping right into it. And he is surrounded by people of all walks of life. He's sat down in the position of authority as a teacher. And everybody's listening to his words. And these are truly culture-shattering words. And culture-shattering, culture-changing, that's exactly what we're looking at today. These words, they might not seem it to you and to me. They might seem pretty obvious. But for the people listening at the time, they were totally countercultural in terms of what they knew to be right. When I was um, a teenager, about 15 years old, I think it was, um, I used to think that David Beckham, most people will know that name even if you don't follow football, David Beckham was the ultimate free kick taker. I used to think he was the best free kick taker in the world. And uh, I would watch him as he took his free kicks. I would literally look and think, how does he move his body? How does he flicks his arm out? He moves his body in a certain way. Which bit of the foot is he using to strike the ball? And uh, how does he get that whip and that curl on that ball? And I, I went out and I bought the same Adidas Predator boots. They were blue and leather. They were beautiful. And it's still beautiful. Best pair of boots I've had to this day. And uh, I used to go down the park and I would practice again and again uh, with my friend and just just to try and get the same free kick style that he had. Because in my mind, he was the master of free kicks. And what Jesus is essentially doing in this passage is he's coming to 15-year-old me and he's saying, David Beckham does free kicks backwards and all wrong. That's essentially what he's doing. You see, The example that people had at the time, the gold standard for these subjects of of giving, of praying, of fasting, were the Pharisees. They were the David Beckhams of that sport. They were the ones who you watched and who you tried to be like. Everybody would want to watch them, to copy them. They would want to know how they did it. They want to do it just like them, to learn from their, their example. So one day they could just be like them. And and how they give, how they pray, how they fast, the way that it should be done. But Jesus is clear with, with the crowd at this point, with his disciples, this is not how my disciples will do these things. You see, Jesus is teaching that in his kingdom, the father, he doesn't have slaves, he has children. He has children that are in genuine relationship with him. Do you know that in the Old Testament, in the entire Old Testament, all 39 books, there are only 14 times in 39 books that God is referred to as Father. That's the Father of Israel. 14 times in 39 books. And in the Sermon on the Mount alone, just in this teaching that Jesus gives, He's called Father, as in Father God, 17 times. That's three more than the entire Old Testament And and, and this teaching was radical to teach that you could approach the God of the universe and call Him Abba, Father, Dad. You see, they accepted at the time, and the people He was teaching, they accepted that God was the Father of the nation of Israel. But the suggestion to call the Lord God Almighty, the Maker of the universe, to call Him Abba, such an intimate, affectionate name, to call Him Dad, that it was totally new and totally revolutionary for him. And, and for Jesus, it was imperative that we as his disciples, that you and me today and the people listening at the time, that they understood the, the relationship that God desires with his children. And, and as we approach these subjects, that's the main thing. That you are approaching Abba, Father, Dad. You're not approaching some far-off slave master. You're approaching your father. And when it came to giving, prayer and fasting, you see the Pharisees, they turned these things into these self-glorifying acts for the crowds, for the people. Uh, people thought that this is the way to do it. And, And what happens is this thing, these things, praying, fasting, giving, they become all about them rather than the person they were supposed to be doing them for. So what I want to look at is these uh, three areas real quick. And I've put prayer and fasting together. Um, and we're going to talk about giving. Um, but let me just stick with me as I go through this. Jesus teaches, first of all, on giving. And, and, and giving in order to look good in front of our peers. But Rabbi says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others But do it in secret, almost like your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand's doing. Almost like you're keeping it secret from yourself because it's just your worship to God. And I think this is not just a problem in the time that Jesus is talking about. It's not just a problem with the Pharisees uh, that happened back then. This is still something that's very real today inside and outside of the church. People give for reward, not from God, but from other people. The reward could be something tangible like a plaque on a wing of a building or or it could be like a nice newspaper column written about them or who they represent. You know, I'm sure you've all seen it at some point but I've been in church and seen the person that makes sure that like, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church, that their offering really clanged the bottom of the plate, right, when they put it in. You know, but I'm sure you can think of examples too. The culture of giving in order to get people's approval or or make yourself look good, whether it's as a business or whether it's as an individual, it's still alive and kicking today. But Jesus calls you and me and his disciples to be completely different from that. So the first thing I want to point out about what Jesus says here is Jesus uses the word when, not if. When you give. There is this expectancy... Here that as his disciples, we are a people that give throughout scripture we see god's God calls his people to care for those who are in need to give for the advancement of his kingdom and, and we know that Jesus and his disciples they they themselves would keep a bag of money and they would you know t- have to buy food from it but one of the things they would regularly do with that is to give to the poor actually in in uh, John's gospel one of the reasons that they think that Judas may have left the table we know it's because he was going to betray Jesus but Judas kept the bag of money he was the accountant in the disciples and one of the reasons stated that they think he might have gone was to give to the poor because it was just well that's what we do you know that's just part and parcel of what they do and and the second thing I think to ask is okay if Jesus expects us to give then why are we expected to give? Why are we expected not just to give, but to give willingly and joyfully? Well, because Jesus has made us rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Through Jesus, we become rich. And then Paul continues in the next chapter, and we're going to put, therefore, therefore, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We don't want any of that. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We understand We understand that as disciples of Jesus, we have everything that we need. That, that Jesus has blessed us immeasurably. We may not all be rich financially, but we do understand that what we do have, we can give. What we do have, we can give, because in God we have all that we need through Jesus and his sacrifice. So the Bible is really clear to us as his disciples and, and to his church and as as his church that we are to we are to give. That's that's just expected of us that we are to give, and the reasons that we're asked to give. You see, the Pharisees they give for different reasons, with different motives. One, Jesus clearly calls out here in this passage and he says, hey, like these guys that you might think they're the David Beckhams of giving, but they're not. <laughs> they're giving for the wrong reasons. The first one he calls out and he says that they, they, they give in order to take praise from the people around them, to look good, to take, to take the plaudits from their friends or their peers or their co-workers, whoever it is. The other is, is a cultural issue that they were steeped in this this second temple age of judaism that they lived in in the first century and and they believed in this second temple judaism and it was taught that if they were to give money to the poor to the homeless to the sick to the orphans as charity that that you could atone for your sins so if i give enough i can atone for my sin. For example, in the book of Tobit, it was this book in the first century, it was taught from, um, and it gave guidance. Remember that uh, as a nation, they're occupied by Rome, and it, this book of Tobit it gave guidance on how to maintain their Jewish heritage. How do we hold on to it? And the book of Tobit did that. And, <clears throat> and I quote from it it says, For charity will save a man from death, it will alleviate his sin. So with that in mind, this is how they thought. Like, charity, I can, go, I can go nuts. I want to give because I look good, but also I'm atoning for my sin. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, I did this. That was bad. But here, here's some money for the orphans, right? And this is why it's so mind-blowing. We're going to get to this later in our series. But so mind-blowing for the disciples in Matthew 19, 23 to 25, when Jesus he, he teaches his disciples after speaking to a rich man. He says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Pff, mind blown. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they went, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. No, they didn't. They were greatly astonished. Like not just astonished, greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Like if I can't buy my way there, then who's going to be saved? Who has any chance? But we understand, don't we, with the, with the cross and the resurrection, we understand in hindsight of that, that we don't give in order that people think we're amazing or that we're generous. We don't give because it puts us in a better position to be saved or because God will love you more if you give him your money or he will heal you if you just give him some money. We understand that that is just nonsense. The only thing is Jesus. The only way is Jesus. The only true life is found in Jesus. No, we give because that's what he calls us to do as his children. It's the only reason we give. Jesus has made us rich. Because of Jesus, we have acceptance and life to the full. We have all that we need. So the question is, do you give? I've got to tell you how nervous I am at this moment right now. Let me just tell you, this is the first time I've ever talked about tithing in a church that I'm leading. So I am so ner- but I'm just going to go with it. Do you give? Do you tithe? A great place to start is 10%. Um, but, but I would encourage you to pray and say, God, what, what do you want me to give? What do you want me to give? What, what should we as a family give? Each month. Not if I should give, but how much. That's the question. I want to say a couple of things. The first is I have no idea, zero idea, who or who does not tithe in this church. And I never ever want to know. It's nothing to do with me. It's between you and God. In fact, none of the eldership team know who tithes and who don't. It's none of it's between you and God what you give. And I guess with a building like this. With a, with a flash building, well, some of it, with a building like this, with all the amazing work that goes on here, it would be easy to think, it would be easy to think and be lured into the thought of, they won't miss my money. They won't miss it. They won't even notice. You're right, I won't notice because I don't look. But actually, we don't have, as a church, the money to do the things that we feel God's calling us to do. We just don't have it. In fact, at the moment, we, we look at our electricity bill every month and go, can we afford it? It, it? We don't have the money to do the things that we want to do. Many things around this building need upgrading, fixing, replacing, throwing out. But we're not in a position to do any of that at the moment. Uh, now, look, let's be really clear here. God is the one who says he will build his church, and we trust him completely, and we have faith that he will continue to build his church. But please don't be lured into the lie for one second that your giving or your generosity can't be effective for the kingdom. It just can. The food bank last year, Caroline, did you you guys give out over 90,000 meals last year? Meals to some of the most vulnerable in our town. And I can't tell you how many people every week (laughs) come and use this building Come, and, come in here and we get to share the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus with them. They come and use the f- furniture scheme or just find a safe space to be in the cafe. You know, J- Jenny and I have had to wrestle with this in our own hearts and make sure that we're right with God. And we, we've deci- it says, decide in your heart what you're going to give and give it. Uh, and we give what we feel called to do. And I just encourage you, if you're not giving, it's between you and God, but I encourage you to ask God privately what you should be given, and to give it, to commit to it. It's so easy to just give it and just know, uh, you just know that God is going to use it. And Jesus says that you will be rewarded by your heavenly Father, that this joy of knowing what you've given and need is met, the hungry are fed the weak encouraged, the building finished, the lost saved, the forgotten found. Amen? Amen. It's over. I can relax now. All right, prayer and fasting. Um, This last, last bit, I'm just looking at the time. So Jesus starts again, both prayer and fasting, and he says that this shouldn't be, there's this warning of how we should do it, how we shouldn't do it more accurately. You see, in the first century, Again, the the prayers of the Pharisees, they'd become formalized. They'd become repetitive. They'd become regulated. They'd become long. They'd become overdone. And they were on display for everyone to see. And when you hear this, and when you start to think about it in contrast uh, to the prayer life of Jesus, and what we see described in the four Gospels, there's a huge amount of difference between what Jesus is describing and what Jesus is doing. And Jesus asks us as his followers to, to not pray like the hypocrites. They, he says they love to perform their, their prayers in public places. They, they love to be seen. They're, they're wanted to be applauded and admired. And he said they're hypocrites. They don't love God and they don't love to pray. And, and, and what they love instead is the attention that they get when they do those things and pretend to love God and pretend to love praying. And Jesus says when you pray like this, you've already received your reward. I mean, if there's ever a warning to not do it, that's a warning. You, that's all you're going to get. You've received your reward in full. And when we compare that to Jesus, Jesus' prayer life was mainly on his own. It was often with friends and it was rarely in a crowd. How does this compare with our prayer lives? The... the you know, is the majority of our prayer life seen? You know, the majority of Jesus' prayer life, we can't read about and we don't know about because he went off to spend time alone with his father. He would often leave his disciples, sometimes at inconvenient moments as far as they were concerned. I said, I'm just going to go and pray. I'll see you guys later. And off he went to be with his father. And we can't read about it. We don't know what he said because he was between him. And his dad, his Abba, Father. And again in this passage, Jesus assumes with prayer and with fasting, these would be things that you do. These, these, are. It's not if, it's when. When you do these things, when you pray. This is how our prayer life should be. Jesus says, don't pray to be seen by other people. Be, chi- be children who love to spend time with your Father. You know... Being a dad, a little girl who's five, Hannah, and being a dad, one of the absolute joys of my day-to-day life is hearing all about her day. I just love it. I, 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 it doesn't wear off for me. I really enjoy it. She talks cute. I think she's wonderful. I look at her and think, how, how, is, how are you mine? It, I just delight in hearing about her day. And I, I love hearing about what she worries about. I love hearing about you know what she's really excited about. I love hearing about her friendships. I love hearing about, you know, oh, Frankie and Katie aren't my friends anymore. And, you know, I love, tell me everything. I want to know everything. I, I want to know. And, and, and it just delights me to hear all about her, all about her day, all about her thoughts. I want to hear her requests and figure out how I can sneak a chocolate when mummy's not looking. I want to hear. Like, you want to hear, right? Anybody who's a parent in the room and has that joy knows what a delight it is to hear your children. Psalm 116, verse 2, it says, Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. That's the NIV. Listen to the NLT. It says, Because he bends down to listen. Hmm. Imagine that. I will pray as long as I have breath. He bends his ear. Yes, my child, what do you want to say to me? Speak to me. Tell me everything. Tell me your worries. Tell me about your friendships. Tell me about your relationships. Tell me about your desires. Tell me about the joys that have been in your day. Tell me, I want relationship with you. God delights in listening to his children. And this speaks of the relationship that Jesus is calling his disciples into in this moment. Don't stand out there showing off for everybody else to see. God's not interested in that. Be genuine. Be real. Repetitive prayers. God knows what you need. Just come and speak to Him. Be in relationship with Him. Don't just read what someone's written down to pray. Come come and speak to me. One to one. Is this a pattern for your prayer life? The majority of the time that you spend in prayer, is it with other people? Is it at church? Is it at prayer meetings? It's a really good gauge for how healthy our prayer life is. God bends His ear to you. Go to Him. Spend time in prayer with Him. And when we pray, Jesus says that we should not be repetitive. It's about approaching God as your Father. We're not going to go through the prayer individually. You all know it very well. It's about it being kingdom focused. Make your prayers kingdom focused. Focus seeing God's will and rule in your life, not your own. And it's about making his rule and his kingdom a reality in your day to day and how you live out your life, how you forgive people and love people and care for people. And that's how we should pray. And the same applies to when we're fasting. Jesus says, put oil on your head. What does that mean? Well, he says, Look, if you wear makeup and get dressed in the morning, get dressed. Don't mope around in a gown. Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm right? Like, if you get dressed, get dressed. Don't make it obvious to people that you're fasting, right? A really good gauge for fasting is, it, it, if, if you don't need to tell them that you're fasting, don't tell them. It's between you and God. It doesn't need to be shared with the whole world. Oh, I fasted this morning. Like, you don't need to share it. It's about that honest, genuine relationship with God. Whether we're giving, fasting, praying, the reality is is that Jesus expects us as his disciples to be doing those things. So I guess that's the first question. How are we doing those things? Are we giving? Are we fasting? Are we praying? Privately, just you and me, God. Genuine, heartfelt, here's my heart. All of me, relationship. Jesus says that if you want them to be effective, this is how you do it. If you want them to be beneficial, this is how you do it. Now, does this mean you can't pray with other people? Of course it doesn't. Jesus does. Does it mean you can't pray in crowds? Of course it doesn't. Jesus does it. But he's saying the majority of your prayer life, the majority of your giving, the majority of your fasting is between you and God. For any of us and I do mean any of us here, it can be easy to slip into performance mode. It can, it, Jesus makes it really clear that God is looking for genuine relationship with you. And many of us can do the right things. We can say the right things. We can go to church and be in, you know, be in the right places at the right times, lift our hands at the right time in the worship song. We can recite some scripture that we've memorized, have the right albums in the Apple Music Library, whatever it is, to look like we're doing a good job. But maybe some of you in the room this morning, you just feel like, actually, in your walk with God, you feel like, actually, I just feel like I've been pretending for a little while. I've just been kind of faking it till I make it. I just want to say to you, you don't have to, you don't need to do that. And actually, inside, maybe you've just been trying to keep it together, trying to keep anybody from noticing, trying to keep the show going. Maybe inside, you know, God doesn't have your whole heart. I don't want to just say to you this morning there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's okay. You don't need to feel guilty or embarrassed. Or ashamed, that's not what the Spirit brings. But actually, just a call to come to your Father. Abba, Father. Come to Him. Come back to Him. Maybe you've allowed a relationship other than the most important one with your Father to take priority in your life. Maybe you've allowed sin in your life to continue not bringing it to God and having faith that he can help you and you've allowed that sin to stick around for too long and actually you just you feel like you're pretending inside because actually God you don't have my whole heart because I can't stay away from this sin can't stay away you've allowed tv and podcasts and music and entertainment to take all of your spare time up, that there's none left for him. Actually, you just give him the, the hour and a half on a Sunday morning. That's what you get, God. The rest of my time is just full with other things. There's no room left for you. Well, this morning, I want to call you. I believe Jesus is calling me and you back to authentic, real, genuine, all of my heart relationship with your Father. God Himself, Abba, Dad, Daddy, to give God our hearts. The Bible says come close to God and He will come close to you.